Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 14 of In the Shadow of the Evening Trees. My name is Dave Von Ebers. And I'm Jennifer Von Ebers. And if you uh, happen to check out our last uh, podcast or if you saw on our website, we were off the week of April 25th because uh, we were overseas. We were on holiday. We were on holiday, as they say. <laughs> we're only using... Um, proper uh, English English from now on. Yes. Uh, although we weren't in England, actually. Quite quite different, as a matter of fact. We were in Ireland. We Which were, was amazing. We were in Dublin for a week, or roughly a week. We went from, we left on Saturday um, the 23rd, but we didn't actually arrive until the morning of the 24th, uh, Sunday the 24th, and then we had to uh, catch a flight back to Chicago um, on the morning of Saturday the 30th. So it turned out to be less than a full week in Dublin, but it was a lot of fun. It was great, and we're just going to pretend we're Irish from now on. Exactly. We can't do the accent, though. Can't do the accent. I we can say... If I, could, if I could even be close, I would, we I could would do say, it for you. We could say, ah, the Pete. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, the Pete. Yes. Uh, that's for you Seinfeld fans who are old like we are. <laughs> There's an episode of Seinfeld where they pretend to be from Ireland. Or to pretend to be Irish-American. It's all very bizarre. Yes. Um, also Nazis, which, you know, as far as I can tell, those two things don't really go together. But, you know. Not so much. They didn't know. They didn't know what they were doing. So we were off on a break last week from posting. Um, so we figured this is our... We were smart and took an extra day at the end of our trip yeah. to have an extra day off in between um, to uh, have just a little bit of a break. That's our cat. Right. Yeah, That's you might be able to hear a cat crying in the background. <laughs> Poor cat had to go a week without our constant attention. So now she doesn't understand why we wouldn't be giving her attention right yes. this moment. Our son took very good care of them while we were gone. Uh, that is true. Our, our middle guy uh, took care of the cats, but that doesn't mean they're not going to uh, demand a lot from us upon our return. So uh, that's Gordy crying in the background. She's a very nice cat. Um, we have to open the door. <laughs> but a little needy. We may have to open the door. Uh, then she can join the podcast. She'll be our first official guest on the show. Je Jennifer's actually going to open the door to my office and let her come in. <laughs> But I don't know, you may need to leave the door open because as soon as she's here for a few minutes, she'll decide she wants to That's leave. That's true. Come on up. Hi, Gordy. You can jump up on the couch. So we went actually to Ireland for uh, not just because we chose it as a random place to go, but it happened to be last week. It happened to be uh, one day last week, let's just say. It happened to be my 60th birthday. Woohoo! So we had been talking for... I guess a few years. I don't even recall exactly when the idea came up of going to Ireland for my 60th. Uh, it may have been when we went to the Bahamas for another significant birthday, not of mine. But, yes. but we can't disclose that. <laughs> I'm kidding. But in any event, we had talked about it for some years. Um, I have mentioned before that my mother's family came from Ireland. They actually came from a place called Sligo, which is kind of on the northwest. Uh, yeah, I had to think for a moment. I had to get my bearings. I do the, the same thing happens to me when I'm in Manhattan. Somehow I get um, east and west confused. Uh, but in any event, 
because for some reason I think of the Hudson as being east because obviously it's east of Chicago, but it's west when you're in Manhattan. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> uh, Sligo, uh, Ireland, uh, the county and the city are on the northwest coast, not in Ulster, but, uh, but on the northwest coast. And that's where my mother's family came from. Originally, many, 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 um, uh, well, generation, a few generations ago, back in the 19th century. In any event, um, so that was kind of where we got the idea of wanting to go to Ireland. I've never been there before. Jennifer's we never been. We both have Irish on both sides, obviously. Right. You just mentioned there's a tiny piece of Irish on my side, so um, it's in our blood um, to, to visit. And I have, um, I have a ton of siblings. Or as they say in England and Ireland, they use the word loads all the time. Yes. I have loads of siblings. <laughs> you do. It actually cracks me up because, you know, they always sound so sophisticated, and but then they use terms like loads instead <laughs> of a lot or several or whatever. And it just kind of is funny to me because that doesn't seem like the most sophisticated way to put it. They also say reckon a lot. They do. In England and Ireland, which really sounds very, to me, very uh, almost southern, like yes. in, in the southern U.S. Uh, nothing wrong with that, but it is funny because they're very posh and they're very uh, sophisticated, but then they use these. They, another One of my other favorite Irish-isms is use. Yes. They say, did use do this or that? And of course, being from Chicago where use is a, a very common... Absolutely. The uh, two-tree boat to use... <laughs> Uh, it cracks me up because it seems very, very Chicago ease to say use. That is true. Uh, but I think the one part about this or talking about an event or going somewhere for your birthday for the 60th, we talked about it, but then it's like you, you found just looking through a website, you know, reasonable flights, this place looks great and everything. And literally, we just just said, let's book it, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, so that's true. It is. We didn't spend hours or days trying to figure out, like, you know, you know, researching a bunch of stuff. Um, we just kind of pulled the trigger. It worked out. Um, it worked out. <laughs> and I have to give we have to give a plug to the place that we stayed, which is called the Wilder Townhouse. I mean, it's a hotel, but it's called the Wilder Townhouse, um, and. You know, it's not necessarily going to be for everybody because it's not a big hotel with a lot of amenities. There's not a gym. Uh, there's only a very small restaurant and bar that have that doesn't really serve, um, you know, a full menu. But it's a really, really nice small um, boutique boutique hotel. It's very, you know, it's sort of like a a bed and breakfast almost, except mm -hmm. that in fact it has, you know, a bar and and a, and that sort of thing, and they do serve. Meals other than breakfast. They do. But but very light on the food um, and, and not a lot of amenities, but very, very comfortable, very quiet, um, really nice accommodations. So, and couldn't the staff couldn't have been nicer. Right, right. We and made friends with some of the um, bartenders. <laughs> yeah, we did. And um, it's also in a really great location. If you're not familiar with Dublin, and we, of course, were not before this, um, the city is sort of divided between north and south by the River Liffey. It runs out to the sea. You know, sometimes you'll see there, there are these famous bridges over the River Liffey that you might see if you watch, you know, House Hunters or one of those kind of shows. Um, there's a 
a very modernistic bridge called the Samuel Beckett Bridge, obviously named after the great Irish writer. <coughs> That's not COVID, by the way. <laughs> you know, we tested positive, uh, tested negative. We had good test results. <laughs> I'm thinking of George Costanza. Why? 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 Oh, negative's good. Uh, we tested negative both before we left and before we came back. So we're yes. happy to to say that. But anyway. Getting back to what we were talking about. So the city is divided between north and south by the River Liffey. The northern part of the city is, you know, probably more residential. I mean, there are still bars and restaurants and things like that, but it's not, it's it's quieter, it's more residential. The southern part, uh, south of the River Liffey, is where the main part of the city center is. It's where both the city government and the Irish national government sit, you know, the uh, um, executive mansion for the prime minister. Don't ask me to pronounce yes, I have the no term, idea. Uh, but I should have I should have studied up on my Irish pronunciation. Uh, but where the chief executive <laughs> resides and has his offices, um, that's located south of the river, where the legislature sits, the you know city hall, all those things. Plus, a lot of the major cultural sites like. Trinity College, uh, the National Concert Hall, the National Art Gallery. There's one of the main, one of the three main natural history museums. Uh, the Archaeology Museum is is there. The National Library is there, and you know, then also all the bars and restaurants and like the nightlife. It's shopping. Shopping. It's kind of like, um, you know, a little bit like Midtown Manhattan in a way, in in terms of of. It's very hip and trendy and there's a lot to do. But um, so so where our place was, uh, where the Wilder townhouse is, is a little bit further south of the city center, but very, very walkable. So you can get to all those sort of cultural attractions. You can get to Grafton Street, which is kind of like the big, you know, sort of uh, hip young area where there's shops and bars and restaurants and things like that. Uh, so it was a great location. We walked everywhere. We walked a ton. I think, although we had we had a constant we had a constant battle between <laughs> my iPhone that clearly shortchanged me <laughs> definitely every single day, and my Apple Watch and your Apple Watch. We'd compare how many uh, miles we walked, and mine my total was always less, and we're basically you know. Walking the same thing. Going everywhere together. Yeah. So unless you're getting up in the middle of the night and going for a run. and not, <laughs> That's what I was doing. <laughs> and not telling me. But it was really cool. And the one thing that we really lucked out with was the weather. Oh, um, yeah. It, it did not rain a drop the whole week that we were there. Um, and the we knew it was going to be on the cool side, like mid, mid to um, 50s to 50 and like high 40s at night kind of thing. But it's been that that temperature in Chicago or less. Um, That's in Fahrenheit. Yes. We we have everyone we talked to. We tried to explain how the weather in Chicago was so unpredictable. But if you say that it's you know we like the temperatures in the fifties, they look at you funny, and then we say Fahrenheit. Yes. We mean Fahrenheit. <laughs> like, ah, yeah. So that actually was uh, a big factor in how we could walk everywhere because. 
we didn't have to worry about you know spending a lot of time inside all day because it was absolutely gorgeous and the one thing that we loved and the it was most, sunny yeah and sunny too we got virtually no rain yeah and uh the just the vibrancy of the weather there is like so much different here in chicago it's still super drab and you know bare trees and stuff like that and there it's like super lush and all the leaves around the trees and the the flowers have come out i mean it's just like fast forwarding like a month here there has already happened right they have a thing there they they call spring yeah which if you're from the midwest there really is no such thing I, I think I, I think it's uh, on the East Coast at least it seems like there tends to be a little bit nicer uh, spring than we have in the Midwest, but here we have just wild temperature fluctuations. We can you know have snow in the middle to late April, you know not Which not we did we, we did. <laughs> I mean you don't typically get significant accumulations of snow, but it happens. And it seems lately we've had snow every year in April. Yeah. Um, but the, the main thing is, is just that, that, that bad weather and that unpredictable weather seems to really, you know, sort of retard the process of spring happening. So we like, like Jennifer saying, you know, we still have trees that are, don't have, you know, har that ha hardly have any leaves or just tiny little buds right now. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Ireland, everything was already, you know, really, really green and And it lush. took us like a little bit to recognize like, what's different, you know, here? Like, why is this so beautiful? And then we're just like, um, of course. Yeah, it was really weird. You know, we that was not necessarily something that we were thinking about. It is true, and we had looked this up beforehand, um, April actually is one of the drier months in Ireland. You know, you yes. think of Ireland like England as being a very rainy place, and that is that is true of much of the year. But apparently, April, um, you know, the rain, the spring rain, sort of has tapered off a bit. I guess May is also really beautiful there. But I was trying to think about you know comparing. So we were obviously in Dublin at the end of April, two years ago. No, I'm sorry. Now it's three years ago in 2019. We were in Manhattan right around this time of year. Uh, we had a, took a long weekend um, right around May 3rd, May 4th, so essentially the same time of year. And, you know, the weather was nice, but it seems, if I recall, it seems like the trees weren't really blooming yet either. Correct. Blooming isn't really the right term. Because we walked the High Line that time. We'd yes. never done that before. And, you know, so you can kind of see trees both on the High Line and then the city neighborhoods below. And my recollection is they were not very uh, green at that point. Um, so, but I do think New York has a nicer spring than, than Chicago, typically. This is not a podcast about spring. <laughs> it or, is about this weather. Is our, this is our, you know, see, it's appropriate, though, that we should ramble and go off on weird tangents because since we were in the place where... Uh, James Joyce's novel Ulysses takes place. This is also uh, like this is a stream of consciousness discussion. Exactly. Um, so think of it that way, much like Ulysses, and published a hundred years ago, by the way. And our cat is now um, sitting next to us on the couch, happy as a clam. So taking a bath. I'm glad we let you in, Gordy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so one of the things that kind of jumps out at me about the whole experience, because you know. I mean, I my ancestors come from all kinds of different places. Nor Norway, you know, parts of Eastern Europe like Ukraine, uh, 
Quebec. We have uh, Quebecois ancestors. So they come from all over the place, but obviously also including Ireland. And one of the things that's weird to me, because, you know, growing up, I don't think we didn't have like really a strong sort of ethnic identity. We were conscious of the fact that, for example, my uh, my paternal grandmother had Norwegian and French Canadian roots. You know, I knew that my paternal grandfather came from Ukraine. And obviously we knew that my mother's family was, was Irish, but we didn't, it's not like we went around, um, other than having tons of siblings, I didn't have... We, loads of siblings. Loads of siblings. They didn't really necessarily observe a lot of Irish traditions, except being aware that we were Irish. But it's wild to be, you know, to be able to just sort of like jump on a plane and go and sort of like reconnect with this part of your cultural heritage that, that you know, I mean, I'm aware of, I think about, but it's not like it's, I knew that much about Ireland or, or our Irish heritage. Um, and it's wild. It's really cool to be able to do that. Uh, and it, it kind of makes me think a lot about how, um, I mean, it's great. I'm, I'm really proud of it. We've talked in the past about, you know, the, the fact that our Irish ancestors were oppressed in their own homeland really for a good 400 years. I mean, the, the British dominance um, of Ireland or domination of Ireland really began around the very beginning of the 17th century, around 1600, 1601. And one of the things we learned uh, in our many museum trips <laughs> over, the, over the course of our vacation. Um, so it's, you know, it's been 400 years or so of domination by an outside force. I mean, obviously the Republic itself has been an independent country since 1916, but, um, but there's still the British influence in Ulster and, and so forth. And this is not some kind of anti-British rant. I'm, we got no yeah. you know, animosity towards the UK or the British. But, you know, despite that history of oppression, the Irish culture today thrives, right? The British and other, you know, opposing forces in Ireland tried to destroy Irish culture, tried to prevent people from speaking Irish, um, from practicing religious traditions, from holding important jobs, from owning land, and all these sorts of things. You know, Oliver Cromwell famously, uh, you know, seized most of the land and redistributed it to his military commanders and things like that. So, but, but I guess my point is, despite all of those efforts to destroy the Irish identity, it survived and it still exists. And I can jump on a plane in Chicago and fly, ultimately, we didn't have a direct flight, yeah. <laughs> but ultimately land in Dublin and walk around and see, you know, street signs in Irish. And, you know, the Irish language is everywhere in Ireland. You can see these great cultural institutions. And, you know, I'm not saying that everybody, we'll talk about that in a minute. It's not that everyone we encountered actually was Irish. It's a pretty diverse city. But the fact that you can reconnect with this cultural identity when the most powerful nation on earth tried to wipe it off the face of the earth is really a remarkable thing, right? And so it also makes me think about 
one of the, you know, to me, one of the greatest crimes of colonialism and imperialism, and with it, things like slavery, is that that's what Europeans did. Europeans went around, and, and our American, you know, predecessors did, we went around destroying other people's cultures and stealing people from their cultures, cutting people off from, from their own history and their own ethnic background and cultural, cultural you know, roots. And we did it to enslaved African people. We did it to the indigenous people in the Americas. And it's almost impossible to ever get that back for these, these groups. I'm very fortunate as an Irish American, it still exists. My Irish culture still exists. I can get on a plane and go to Ireland and see it and kind of get immersed in it. But people who are the descendants of enslaved Africans don't really necessarily have that uh, luxury. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe if people cared enough to put in the effort, there would be some way to try to reconnect people with that past but it, it's nearly impossible. And that just strikes me as an incredibly cruel thing to cut people off from their history. And we did the same thing to the native population. We were just watching um, an episode of Antiques Roadshow mm-hmm. um, the other night where there was a, a Jewish man on who, whose mother had been in a forced labor camp. The Nazis had, she, she was German and the Nazis had pushed her into, or, not pushed, put her um, in a forced labor camp. She obviously survived because she came to America and had a family. But other members of her family ended up in the death camps and didn't survive. And one of the things that this this guy said was that her mother, his, I'm sorry, his mother kept certain you know artifacts, including a, a, a blouse or shirt mm-hmm. that she had made uh, in the factory where she was forced to work and some photographs and things like that, and a a postcard that she was actually um, allowed to to send home um, to her her parents, this guy's grandparents. Uh, And he talked about why it was so important for them to keep those things. And that's the thing that he mentioned, that that her family, she and her family, and his family, had were cut off from their cultural roots in Germany. I mean, recall, if you know history, one of the main things that the Nazis did was claim that Jewish German people were not in fact German. When they were, you know, they tried to destroy the German Jewish cultural identity. And of course, the cultural identity of Jews in other parts of Europe as well. But I mean, just imagine, you know, your family has lived generations or centuries in a country you speak the language you you know everything about you is german you just happen to be jewish and all of a sudden out of the blue they say nope you don't belong to this culture anymore and they take you from your home and you know obviously people were murdered and other people were forced into labor camps and so forth but a part of that a part of that wasn't just the physical cruelty of what the Nazis did to German Jewish people, but destroying the concept of being a Jewish German person or a Polish uh, Jewish person or, or whatever. I mean, and, and I don't, you know, I mean, I'm well aware of the Holocaust. My father fought the Nazis in World War II, but 
that's a part of it that I don't think we think a lot about. It's just that the cruelty of destroying a person or a family's connections to their past and their history and their people. I don't know. It's it's just one of the most um, horrible things you can do to people. And and uh, you know having this was a this was just it was a great trip. But just the idea of being able to go back and to be part of a place where this culture continues to exist despite having been you know the victim of oppression for 400 years and 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 another you know a foreign occupying force trying to destroy the culture it's still there i have that luxury and there's so many people today who belong to groups where they were cut off and they don't have the ability to go reconnect that is sad it's just it's really a it's really one of the greatest crimes that uh, you know imperialists ever perpetrated on other groups of people around the world. And again, I just want to say, this is not some anti-British thing. It's got nothing to do with that. Uh, it's it's just about the fact that this is something that has it's is a byproduct of imperialism and colonialism over the years. So I thought, I mean, it was really. It was a beautiful trip. It was a very moving trip, but I I couldn't kind of get that out of my head when we were seeing you know every every street corner, every sign, um, every public sign, every public building has the name in Irish and in English. You go into the museum, and the description of every exhibit is in Irish and English, and it's a beautiful thing. But you think about how many. Um, Native American languages have either been destroyed or or barely exist. I know there was a, a, a history professor at the University of, of Illinois some years ago who was trying to save the Lakota Sioux language. Um, but you know, you think about how many languages have been sort of wiped off the face of the earth or nearly lost and forgotten as a result of you know imperialism and and this kind of sick uh, cultural domination of one group over another. Um, anyway, it's really, a, it's, it's really a profound thing, and I'm very, very grateful that we were able to do that. And also to touch all those things, you know, is yeah. also a great thing, too. Um, that's, I love history and loved learning about the history of um, the um, all the places that we visited um, just to see so much history and so many buildings that were built so long ago that are just massive stunning uh the dublin castle we got to visit which yeah. was huge we got to see at trinity college i i just had to mention this at trinity college um we went to this exhibit on the book of kells which i won't go into the whole story behind it it's a religious uh, manuscript that's got this brilliant you know um I can't, what do they call it? Illumination yes. with, with all the writings, the, the pictures and the graphics. But they also had in there, one of the things in, in the library was, and I may, apologies if I'm uh, pronouncing it incorrectly, but um, Brian Boru's harp. He was one of the kings of Ireland before, you know, it succumbed to English domination. And he had, you know, that his harp, his actual physical Harp is in the uh, library uh, at Trinity Univ- Trinity College in Dublin, and that's the harp that became 
the basis for the the symbol of Ireland that you see on flags and you see in virtually everything um, um, that has an Irish symbol on the Guinness bottle, you know, and everything else. The physical, the actual harp that this Irish king owned was on display, and we were able to see it, you know, and take pictures of it. I mean, that's that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. It, it's not. Of course, about the Irish culture being any better or more important than any others, it's the point that it survived, and and you know despite all of these attacks and so many other um, cultures around the world haven't survived, or there are descendants of people who don't have like the ability to have sort of an equivalent experience and go back and and connect and see objects that belong to important people and things like this it's just hard to explain um how great it was on the one hand but also how you know you feel a sense of loss because you know that there are people who may never have that kind of ability exactly you know and then i want to make i don't want to make you know cultural identity or ethnic identity any more important than it is but I just think back to you know the first the first um, black teacher I had when I was in elementary school, uh, who actually taught us about black history before it was some big dumb political controversy, uh, and and one of the things that she encouraged us to do is think of our country instead of as being a melting pot, think of it as being a mosaic, right? Where there are all of these individual parts, all of these individual colors, if you will. Uh, that you know, from a distance, make a coherent picture, and and a beautiful picture, but but also close up, stand on their own and are distinct. And I think that was an amazing thing to tell a bunch of like third and fourth graders at, remembered it. in I the seventies. So nice. I still think about it today. Yeah. So, um, in any event, that's my takeaway from a really great um, week in Dublin. Yes, and unfortunately. Now back to reality. <laughs> yeah, now we got to go back to work. Womp womp. Yeah. So thanks for listening. Yes. Um, as we always say, as the cool kids say, you can uh, listen to this podcast wherever you... you... Say it. <laughs> say it. Where <laughs> Say it. <laughs> it's like Dwight Shoot. Yeah. One, yeah. two, Five, three. Four, three, yeah. two. Wherever you listen to your po- favorite <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and we'll catch you again next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.